Come gather round the campfire and hear our ghostly tales of chilling terrors, darkest woes, and anything that goes bump in the night. So cuddle up with your best friend or dare it alone. The darkness is closing in and spirits are calling your name. This is Fireside Phantoms. Welcome, Holly. Welcome, Carol. To today's mysterious story time. That's right. I'm excited to hear what you're going to share with us. Well, good news for everyone. I have my glasses today. Yay. And, you know, recently we were watching at home the horror short stories, The Cabinet of Curiosities by Guillermo de Toro. Yeah, that's a good show. Yeah, he did the famous Pan's Labyrinth movie. Yes. Some of the stories were adaptations of horror writer Lovecraft's short stories like Pickman's Model and Dreams in the Witch's House. Did you see either of those? No. Uh, and on the on the Netflix yeah. series, yeah. I watched the first two. I watched the one where the guy buys the um, storage unit. Oh, I love that one. That was really good. And then the second one where the guy has rats. to fight the, ra- the rat the rats. king. <laughs> the rat king in the month, the skeleton mummy for yeah. his gold. Yeah, And Cthulhu good. pops out yeah. or whatever. <laughs> yeah, those are good. Well, it inspired me to think about stories of haunted paintings. So some of the other ones, you know, have that theme. Yeah. Certain times in my life, I enjoyed painting and looking at art museums. I really love to figure out like the abstract stuff, uh-huh. like trying to figure out what do they mean by this, yeah. you know, when they painted it. Yeah. There's something therapeutic like music when a paintbrush is just allowed to create. Myself, not wanting to pay for expensive art, my painting came in handy when I was younger and I just needed something to cover my blank walls. Have you ever done that paint and wine thing? Yes, yeah. it's it's intimidating because you have real artists oh, that like sh- to go there, and then they should allow like, that. Look how fabulous yeah. I am! <laughs> oh my god, look how great my painting turned out! And I look You're at like, mine, I'm up. like, how come mine doesn't look anything like your painting? <laughs> I thought this was paint by number. Yeah, that's why I'm always like, I'm an abstract painter. That's right. You don't. It's know. meant to be like this that. Is an expression of my soul. It's just yeah. So anyway, well, sometimes, you know, when I was in that phase, I'd wake up at night when I'd have like insomnia. And instead of going back to sleep or reading, I'd just wander downstairs, paint a while, get tired and then go back to sleep. But one night I finished a painting all in the same night. Yeah. So I hung it on the wall over my TV there at Perch for several years. And anyone who came over, you know, they would stare at it, commented that it made them feel eerie or uneasy. And others just said it pulled them in and was hypnotic. But one of my neighbors who didn't like it said my painting was a form of automatic writing. And she suspected I created a portal letting spirits into my condo. Really? Yeah. Well, you know, I had that episode on all the hauntings. Yes. But at the time, you know, I just thought she was kind of superstitious. Wow, that's scary. In researching the topic of haunted paintings, I found so many alleged stories of paintings that have made people feel like they're being haunted. Really? Maybe paintings can create portals or be haunted. Huh. There's the painting there, Holly. Yeah. That's pretty scary. So when I look at it, I see the first impression I have was... It looks like a bunch of souls getting stuck down oh, into a God, void. No. <laughs> it's very dark looking to me. Oh, okay. Well, you know what? We should just do an experiment. I'll let you borrow it. Hang it up. <laughs> we'll see if anything crawls out at night. No. I think I think no. it would look perfect right above your no. bed. No. The thing <laughs> no? above my no? bed is a pretty tarp of a forest with a misty mountain above it. This is not going above my bed. 
So let's get started. One of the most scary paintings of all time, in my opinion, is the famous The Scream by artist yeah. Edward Munch. All right, I got my paintings pulled up for Holly to look at while I'm reading, and yes. we'll have them on our credits and Instagram for you guys to follow along as well, yeah. if you can. Nice. Okay, so a lot of people are familiar with The Scream by artist Edward Munch. Mm -hmm. The painting was one of four works of art uh, that Munch created during the years 1893 to 1910. Okay. Each one features the same theme. A lonely man of, or figure standing on a bridge with his hands holding his face in a horrific expression. In the screen painting, there are also two mysterious figures standing at a distance in the shadow. Munch said in his diary that it was based on a real paranormal experience he had as he was walking along a path which overlooks the city Oslo and the fjord below. He said at the time while he was walking, he felt very tired and ill. He stopped to catch his breath and look out over the city, telling his two companions to go on ahead of him. Munch said he felt a scream passing through nature. <laughs> he painted the picture as a result, and he described in his diary saying, quote, I saw a flaming sky. Suddenly it turned a bloody red and hung like blood and sword over the city. I stood there trembling with anxiety, end quote. As he painted, he said, the color shrieked at him. Hence his huh. title, The Scream. Wow. Gosh, I hope it wasn't prophetic. Later, it was found that this painting contained a secret message in the top left-hand corner only seen when viewed under infrared light. Huh. Put there by the artist himself, the secret message states, quote, could only be painted by a madman, end quote. Ooh. Those who view the painting feel a sense of foreboding or anxiety, perhaps from empathy at the anguish of the artist's self-portrait. Some think perhaps Munch was sensing a future of some catastrophic event that forever makes the skies bleed. Others ask, was he perhaps scared of clouds? Munch himself was in and out of asylums for his mental health. Yeah, that's I would say mental health is what I would look at that and go, oh. He's just having a panic attack yeah. on, the, on the path. Yeah, yeah. Munch has made another painting known as The Dead Mother, which features a dying mother in bed behind a grieving daughter who faces the viewer with her hands on either side of her face in an expression of agony. Munch draws from his own personal experience of seeing the death of his mother and siblings to tuberculosis when he was a young child. Oh. People say the painting is haunted and feel like the eyes of the daughter follow them around. And they also hear the sound of bedsheets moving when they're near the painting. Uh -huh. And also it's capturing such a horrible moment. You know, yeah. a young child losing their mother. That's that's a terrible, terrible moment. It's terrible. It's he, every child's worst nightmare. Unless yeah. they hate their mom. Well, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And he's he's reminiscing this as he's painting it. So he's putting all of that yeah. trauma into the painting, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's sad. The yeah. eyes moving phenomenon, though, is a common optical illusion that artists oh, create. Sure. Like the Mona Lisa yeah. has this effect on people. And some say her expression has even changed over the years. Huh. Well, I know she's lost her eyebrows, but that does happen with age. <laughs> <laughs> the next painting, which is also a depiction of a man with a twisted, open-mouthed expression, this is, is yes, is known as the Anguished Man. It is claimed to have been painted with the artist's own blood mixed into oh, the paint. Really? <laughs> yeah. It's really a fucked up 
It's really messed up. (laughs) It looks like he was in a fire. (laughs) You know, that is so funny you said that. Yeah. I believe that too. Yeah. That he was burned from head to toe. Yeah. After the painting was finished, the artist committed suicide. I bet he did. (laughs) Yeah. Because he was burned to death. If that's what was in his psyche, it wasn't surprising me at all. Yeah. He was already on his way to the underground. Yeah. Sean Robinson, the current owner of the painting, said that he inherited it from his grandmother. How nice of her. Thanks, Grandma. She told him the story and believed it to be cursed. When he hung it up in his bedroom, the family started hearing whispering and crying at night. (laughs) See? He hung it up on his bedroom. Yeah, no, that's we're still not gonna hang up yours. Sorry. Sean claims that his pets act nervous around it and sounds of crying are heard coming from the painting, as well as seeing shadow figures. Robinson said the haunting have gotten so bad he recorded the incidents and shared them on his YouTube channel. He eventually did take it down off his wall and locked it away, afraid to give it to someone else. That was a good idea. Yeah. The fact the painting is by an anonymous person makes it even more mysterious. It is. It's just disturbing to look at, even if it wasn't haunted. Yeah. I mean, but to look at it and go, oh, it's got a haunted history. I bet it does. I mean, it is a really creepy image. Yeah, it is. Ugh. Another haunted painting called The Stagecraft or The Hanging Man was created by artist Laura B. She was inspired by a photo taken by James Kidd of an old stagecoach shop and a broken down coach when visiting the town of Tombstone. Oh, I love Tombstone. I know. So great. Yay, Tombstone. The photographer was surprised to see upon development a ghostly figure of a man dressed in coat, pants and boots, but missing his head. Laura asked the photographer if she could paint an oil copy of it, and he agreed. Laura said that very strange things started to take place once she displayed her painting in a local office. People from the office called her after only three days to request the painting to be taken away. They claimed it was a ghost painting because every morning the picture was hanging in a new crooked angle. Upon arriving for the workday, they would straighten it. And again, it would move out of its position the following morning. The business said it also had several appointments mysteriously rearranged and important papers were lost. The painting, of course, was blamed for all the issues the small business was having. (laughs) So Laura agreed to retrieve the painting. After relocating to Tennessee, Laura's new home had a mysterious roof leak that could not be repaired. After three separate attempts to fix the issue by professional roofers, they started to suspect the painting because it was situated near a wall where the leak was happening. After they moved the painting, the roof stopped leaking. There were other incidents, too, like a decorative starfish which fell off the wall. Not and a decorative starfish. I know, a decorative <laughs> starfish. <laughs> those those things are scary in and of them. The ghost painting was like, fuck that starfish. Fuck that starfish. <laughs> Bye. Uh, so, yeah, instead of falling just straight down, it landed about seven feet away on the floor, which just, you know, can't naturally happen with gravity. They also had an outside gate come off its post, breaking for no reason. Huh. Salt. Holly was yeah. thrown out of its salt shaker. No, really? Yeah. Usually ghosts don't like salt. That's why it was thrown out of oh, a shaker. Oh, okay. So, you, so they couldn't use it against think, it. Well, I would think they'd take the whole shaker and get rid of it. I know. Yeah. I know. Huh. They just uh, weren't thinking straight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Fear does that. Still focused on the starfish. Still, still, <laughs> still is, focused on the starfish. Starfish is a salty fish from the sea. Maybe that's why I didn't like it. Maybe it was trying to give it some life back. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. you know, trying to do do a reanimation of the starfish. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, yeah, they also heard mysterious knocks at the front door. Of course, nobody was there. You know, that could just be the kids welcoming them with a game of ding-dong dash yeah, to the neighborhood. Right. <laughs> Laura says several people have offered to purchase the painting, but she doesn't want to bring them any misfortune. So she's kept it. But in retrospect, she wishes she never painted it. She should give it to Zach. I know. Yeah. She really should. She should. I think it's a great idea, Holly. And like... It's so eerie how your mind works because... Because <laughs> it's your mind, too. Because <laughs> yeah. we share the brain. I actually yeah. talk about Zach in this episode. <laughs> oh, shoot. Sorry. Do I keep stepping in, on things? In the, no. In okay. the very next sentence, which is really funny. And oh, this weird. next one will be your favorite, I think. A signed self-portrait by serial killer John Wayne Gacy titled <laughs> Goodbye Pogo was recently acquired by Zach Baggins. Of course. For his Las Vegas Haunted Museum. Of course. If Zach bought it, then you know it is cursed. Yes. The painting shows a colorful scene of a sad clown holding bright balloons in front of a background forest of dark green trees. Mm. Gacy, who was convicted of killing 33 males, mainly young boys, performed as Pogo the Clown at parties for children. Gacy, who was captured in 1978, started to paint while he was waiting his execution. After his death in 1994, some of his artwork was destroyed in a bonfire attended by 300 people and family of the victims, finalizing his death. Other pieces, though, were auctioned off. A collector of art, musician Nikki Stone, purchased Goodbye Pogos in 2001 for $3,000, but quickly realized the painting was cursed. Stone attributed his bad fortune to his owning the portrait. Shortly after acquiring it, his dog died and his mother was diagnosed with cancer. Stone, who was superstitious of the painting, no longer wanted it in his home. He had a close friend offer to store the painting for him at his place. The friend shockingly died, though, in a freak car accident just after a short time storing it. Wow. Another friend, who also offered to take the painting, suddenly became very depressed and attempted suicide. Johnny Depp also purchased one of the Gacy clown paintings, and he had to get rid of it, saying the painting caused him unexplainable anxiety and a pathological fear of clowns. Artist Bruno Amadio wanted to sell meaningful art to tourists after World War II. He did a series of showcasing orphans using a pseudonym of Giovanni Bragolin. He called his series of paintings the Gypsy Circle, which is strange because the children don't have anything about them that screams gypsy. There is one particular painting called The Crying Boy, which was so popular he made several prints of it for distribution. 50,000 copies of this painting were sold. The painting shows the boy facing forward with sorrowful tears pouring down his sad chubby cheeks. It is said the boy became an orphan after his parents died in a terrible house fire. The legend states the little boy cursed every home he lived in afterward. But there is nothing that verifies that background story. A British couple, May and Ron Hall, reported to a local paper that the day after buying the Crying Boy painting, their home was burned to the ground, except the wall that had the canvas hung on it. They thought the whole thing was so unlikely, they suspected that the painting was responsible. 
After the article circulated, the newspaper office received other letters describing remarkable stories. The letters all told the same story, saying they knew of someone, a relative or perhaps a friend who had purchased a reproduction of The Crying Boy and also had their homes burned down. Really? In all of the cases, everything was destroyed but the painting. Wow. There were even multiple accounts of witnesses who agreed that when they tried to burn the canvas intentionally, the fire would burn out. It was impossible to catch it on fire. Theories go that there is some sort of fire retardant on the painting which prevents it from being harmed. But I don't know if there's any truth to that because some of the reproductions were done by a completely different person, Anna Zinkason. And these techniques were not usually done on lesser known works of art, much less reproduction of works. It is interesting to know that the artist Bragolin was relatively unknown. His only work referenced is his paintings of the orphans. In fact, most who knew him thought he was a terrible person because they rumored he would specifically frighten the children who posed for the paintings so he could capture their tears and looks of fear on canvas. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's pretty awful. Yeah. Some people think entities or energy can be tied to or absorbed into objects created with dark intentions. Right. Maybe the artist was into other creations like the dark arts. Maybe he was an arsonist. <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> Maybe he, he killed these kids' parents. Oh. And then took their pa- oh. they painted their photos because he needed something. He needed them to find dig deep for some kind of sad I, inspiration. I see a new screenplay forming in your mind. <laughs> yeah. You know, there is really not a a lot known about him. So who knows? He could have been an arsonist. Yeah. There was a YouTube video of Steve Punt aired on BBC Radio attempting to burn a copy of The Crying Boy. And he was able to burn a corner of the painting, but it never touched the actual boy in the portrait. I will attach a link for you in our credits so you can see the attempt. My opinion is that they just needed something stronger, like a blowtorch with an accelerant like gasoline. I think his attempt was a bit cautious. If you watch him, he's just like, oh, look, I'm burning with like a little flame. Also, <laughs> he's probably scared it's going to like engulf him. Yeah, instead. it'll probably like reach out yeah. with like licking flames yeah. to like and cap- capture him and pull him into the painting. Yeah. Also, you know, with over 50,000 copies produced, it's likely there are many, many that were not involved in pyro tragedies of the home. Yeah. Yeah. But Ben Alden Falconer, who writes a column about renovating his house in Margate, said he came across a framed copy of The Crying Boy left by the former owner. Uh-huh. As he talked about perhaps finding a good place for it in his home, his Instagram account blew up with people all demanding him to get rid of it. <laughs> One comment was, quote, quick, get the crying boy out before the house burns down. <laughs> Another person said it happened to their aunt who had a copy of it and her bungalow burnt down, but the picture survived untouched. He spoke to his editor about getting rid of the painting. She suggested a cleansing ceremony would be better than just trying to leave it out in his garden on a pile of junk wood. Instead, he decided to gift her the painting and sent it to her office. <laughs> that sounds something like we would do. <laughs> Next up on my list is a couple of polar bears who on their own are very scary with large paws and teeth. Okay. Can you get into it? Yes, they are scary. This is dark. 
But lucky for us, we don't have any of those bears in Oregon. Edwin that Land- we know of. <laughs> Edwin Landseer's painting called Man Proposes, God Disposes <laughs> shows two polar bears that are ravaging the remains of Sir John Franklin's fabled lost ark ship oh. that was told to have crashed or vanished around 160 years ago. The captain had 129 men on board, and supposedly it met its fate in 1845 as it went down in the Northwest Passage of the Canadian Arctic. Oh. It's a gruesome scene, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is pretty, uh, pretty It dark. shows blood splattered oh. all over the ice and a polar bear chewing on a human rib. Yeah, yep. The painting hangs on the wall at Royal Holloway, University of London. The work of art has been around since the 1920s, and students blame their failing of exams on the haunted painting. (laughs) That's a good excuse. That's a great excuse. The college's curator, Dr. Laura McCullough, says the students have circulated a story that if you sit in front of it while taking a test, you will surely fail unless you cover (laughs) it up with a cloth or curtain. The painting's theme is depicting one huge failed test of the ship's inability to complete its passage through the Arctic and breaking up on the glaciers. Hmm. And being devoured by polar bears, too, is also an unfortunate way to go down. So those students are looking at that painting while they're taking their test going, oh, my God. Yeah. That's, that's my future. If I, I mean, don't pass this test. <laughs> it's pretty dark and dismal. I, I would just be distracted by the I thing. Know. Back in the 1970s, when the students pleaded with the staff to take the painting away, another solution was found. A teacher, impatient to get the exam started, decided to toss a Union Jack flag over the painting, and the students were able to concentrate and complete the test. Every year since, it has been a tradition to cover the painting up using that same flag during the exams. Oh, cool. Of course, you know, with all good hauntings and four decades down the road, we have a crazy story passed down by many students who said a female student a few years before the flag tradition started had stared too long at the (laughs) painting, entering a trance-like state. Huh. It was said she had gone mad and killed herself after failing her test. Oh, boy. There was also a message found later written on her test. Quote, the polar bears made me do it. (laughs) Really? That's a true story? No. There's nothing that could be verified (laughs) regarding this incident happening at the university, but I love the story. It's pretty funny. You know, perhaps it was right before Thanksgiving holiday break, and so she ended things off campus. But yeah, (laughs) in any case, the students are not taking any chances on the painting, and the tradition of covering it up has remained and will continue for the foreseen future. Okay, good. One painting on my list now, shot to fame due to its owners reporting creepy stories titled okay. The Hands Resist Him. Oh, oh, ooh, that is creepy. That is creepy. Yeah, painted by Bill Stoneham, The Hands Resist Him was painted in 1974 as a copy of a photograph from his childhood with a neighborhood friend. Except the painter depicted his playmate as a life-size doll with hollow eyes. Yep, that'll do it. Yeah, that's that's creepy. And that's messed up. If you're his friend, you're like, yeah, thanks th- for painting me as a creepy thanks doll. A lot. Yeah. I know that so we you gotta be an actual person in the painting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's spooky element, 
is they are standing in front of a glass window or door, mm. and they're seeing ghostly hands pressing on the glass towards them from the dark night. Oh. I, at first I thought those were candles, but you're right, they're hands. Maybe the painter just meant them to be sticky handprints, but to me oh. it registers as creepy ghost from the upside down. Stoneham claimed that the hands on the glass door were representative of the thin veil between our waking life and dreaming saying the little girl doll is the imaginary friend or guide that is helping in this realm. Okay, yeah, so he painted a ghost. There were three mysterious, untimely deaths of people who were intimately close with the painting. Henry Seldes was an art critic who had recently written a review of Stoneham's work when he saw his debut art show in 1978. He was found dead in his apartment shortly after, and it was determined to be a suicide. Charles Feingarten, who owned the gallery where the work of art was hung for its first debut, ended up passing away just a short few years afterwards, but it seemed to have been a natural death. The first owner who purchased the painting at the gallery for its debut was actor John Marley, who played Max in The Godfather. I might add, too, that the painting was the only one that sold that night, but John Marley also passed away. He died after having open-heart surgery in 1984. It was thought he had already gotten rid of the painting before he died. Stoneham commented on the strange circumstances, and he said it was weird, but just a coincidence. A California couple found the painting discarded behind the building of an old brewery and thought it was such a unique piece of artwork, they couldn't understand why someone would get rid of it. It's unique. So they brought it home with them. Yeah, it definitely is. <laughs> Eventually, the couple decided to auction it off on eBay in 2000 when they claimed it was haunted. Quote, one morning, our four and a half year old daughter claimed that the children in the picture were fighting and coming into the room during the night. Huh. <laughs> that is so awful. That's End quote. Interesting. Well, the boy does look kind of grumpy pissed and mean yeah yeah and the girl, they both kind of do yeah the girl also she's got a big frown on her face both of them look pissed they really do and what does she have here in her hand yeah it's i'm gonna like go weird oh, yeah gonna go i'm gonna go that? into that okay. yeah yeah they decided to set up some motion detection cameras and after three nights got some captured footage that is super disturbing oh the listing went viral after the couple decided to upload the photo shots they captured on their camera Zach the Baggins, captured are you paying attention? <laughs> <laughs> the captured shot shows the boy crawling out from the painting scared of his doll friend. They also captured the doll's face changing into an angry expression. I, I think it's already angry. Yeah, the it's looks of that painting. Completely angry. She's got a big frown on her face. She but, looks pissed. Yeah, but in her hands, they said, is a gun. Um, the painting sold for $1,025 to Perception Gallery, and the new owner, Kim Smith, asked Stoneham regarding all the rumors of the changes in the painting. He said originally he painted the doll holding a battery with loose wires, not a gun. Huh. But perhaps in the darkness, the camera kind of blurred that, and with the corner of the framed yeah, window, it, it looked, made could, it look like a gun. It does look like it could be a gun. From, but but he's right because it is the frame window that makes it gives it makes that it angle. that look yeah so I'm thinking it's just you know bad camera lighting you know how that is so did you say that they actually had the video footage of the boy crawling out they they have still shots of the of did you the see camera. that yes it was weird is it believable looking it's hard to say I'm not an expert at photo manipulation uh, but okay. yeah it it's bizarre okay. I I'll try and link some of the shots for people. 
The painting is being held in the back room of Smith's Perception Fine Art Gallery in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Smith's sons, who were familiar with all the paranormal stories, did not want her to risk having the haunted painting in their family home. Now, they sound like smart boys. Yeah, they do. The gallery has only had it on display to the public about six times. Many have expressed feeling unwell, repulsed, or feeling like they're under some devious mind control when around it. Smith has never experienced anything herself, but appreciates the offers for blessings and a six-figure attempt to purchase the work. Really? I wonder, is that mysterious bidder (laughs) an owner of a haunted museum in Las Vegas? Wow. (laughs) Inquiring minds want to know, Zach, is that you? (laughs) Well, to look at it, you know, he's he's the brightest thing in the image. Like, yeah, he's like he got almost got a spotlight on him or sunshine or something. He's got but the he, ring light effect. Yeah, he really pops. And she does, too. But she's a little more in shadow or she's a little darker and she's not directly staring at the camera. She or the she's way they glaring mean. at him. She's turned a little bit towards him, but she doesn't look like she's looking at him. She looks like she's looking off this way and he looked they just look upset it's a weird picture it's a really weird picture yeah i wouldn't want that <laughs> around there's yeah. nothing joyous about it it looks like yeah grumpy kids or yeah. a grumpy kid and a grumpy doll yeah it look it's a weird and then the hands are creepy hands in the background it's just weird. i mean i i really think it was meant to be a haunted painting from it, the start of course yeah the artist had yeah. to have some paranormal intentions something so there is a book written by darren neal in may of 2006 who wrote this dramatic fiction based on the artwork because he also had a true paranormal event with the image of the painting okay after seeing the painting online he decided to print out a color copy of it and left it with some other photocopies printed out on a side table after he came home from a vacation in italy he was there for about a month his place had some issues Everything was covered in green mold, and he means everything. Oh. The TV, bed sheets, clothing, and the documents he printed out, except Holly, the printout of that painting. Really? He said the air conditioning malfunctioned, so that was the rational explanation of what happened, but it didn't make sense to him why the only thing left untouched was that one printout of the painting. Yeah. So it is weird. It is weird. So my last haunted painting is The Rain Woman. And that's this one. Yes. Okay. Created by Ukrainian artist Svetlana Telets. The artist had a paranormal experience of what she felt was a presence watching her. The feeling became stronger and stronger over time. And she was inspired to put down on canvas of what had become a clear vision of a lady in black who was constantly following her. She said it felt like someone was controlling her hand as she painted, and she completed the initial painting in under five hours, but refined the finer details over another month. When she hung it up for display at a local art gallery, the new owner who purchased it called the gallery, asking to return it days later, saying the painting was haunted. Subsequent owners of the painting only had it a short while before they, too, all tried to return it, saying they were seeing a ghostly figure who stalked them in dreams and around their home. One person said everywhere he looked, he saw deathly pale eyes staring back at him. He felt he might drown if the eyes kept staring at him. The musician, Sergei Skatchkov, 
Last purchased the painting, but his wife made him take it down. She hid it so he could never put it back up, saying a ghost was following her around their apartment at night. <laughs> the painting now hangs in a shop, Merck's Furniture, on the streets of Kiev. Customers still comment on feeling different emotions when viewing the painting. Maybe because she is dressed all in black and has such a narrow, pointy face, it makes me feel like she's at a funeral or is literally what death looks like. Because remember, we had that um, experience of a near-death report that actual death is a lady that comes for him. Oh, right. Yeah. But, you know, I also get a goat animal vibe when yeah. I look at her. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. You, you were, I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, she of looks like a goat. <laughs> Some say they see her smile at them or even feel very depressed when looking at it. Huh. One thing I noticed, too, on that John Wayne Gacy one mm -hmm. is that there's a... The painting is his self-portrait. It's him as a clown. And then in the bottom left-hand corner, there's a little clown. Did you notice that popping oh, out? Oh, no. And I'm like, I wonder if that's his nod to his alter ego, which was the serial killer of, of him. Yeah, very interesting and very creepy. Very creepy stories. Well, thanks. I had fun mm -hmm. with it. And yeah, uh, cool. I'm excited to hear what you have for us, Yeah, Molly. mine is uh, really interesting. Um, I'm doing the crazy story of a little boy named Ernest Herps. Have you heard this story? No, but I'm fascinated. Yeah. I had never heard it either. I learned this story on Halloween weekend when myself, The Rock, my sister Rosemary, and my niece Mackenzie and I, we all took a ghost tour in Northwest Portland. Oh, have fun. <clears throat> mm -hmm. So the tour was put on by a company called Slabtown Tours, and I've added a link to their site in the show notes. Our guide was named Tanya March. Upon my research, I found out that Tanya has her doctorate from Portland State in Urban Studies with a focus on historic preservation. She also has a master's in historic preservation from Columbia University. So I wanted to put that out there because she's somebody who does a lot of research. Yeah. And she can find information on things that most people maybe wouldn't have access to or wouldn't know where to look. So she's a very well-researched person. And she found this story. And... Um, she, I really wanted to make sure to shout her out and give her credit for discovering the story because it's basically been neglected by all of the haunted Portland books and blogs. Like, and she pointed that out. She was no authors who write yeah. haunted Portland books ever covered the story. And I wanted to know why, because it's actually a really good one. And yeah. I'm like, yeah. They just came out with a haunted, a uh, new haunted Oregon spooky story book that I picked up oh, did um, you? this month. And, oh. and I didn't hear anything about that. Yeah. It's really weird because at the time, that this happened it got major publicity and yet yeah. nobody ever talks about it so well, it's kind of cool. weird i'm excited yeah. to yeah. have one from our hometown yeah yeah okay. it's a good one so um carol on october 28th 1909 an 11 year old boy named ernest harps was with his grandparents and the way they were referred to in the research I read, their names were Mr. and Mrs. J.P. Sanders and this is kind of fun because a lot of what i'm going to read today is from 1909 okay. and written in the style of 1909 talk. How fun. So you'll see what I mean as I get oh, here into the okay. story. Ernest Harps was with his grandparents at their home at 546 Northwest Marshall Street in Northwest Portland. 
Um, it was about 1.30 p.m. in the afternoon when Ernest's grandmother noticed a sugar bowl topple off their table and onto the ground. <gasps> she stooped to pick up the bowl and place it back on the table and continue with her cleaning. And that's when all hell broke loose. <laughs> Don't you mess with the sugar. Don't you mess with the sugar bowl. So what happens next is described by the Pacific Monthly Magazine in an article called A Nine Days Wonder by Frank J. McGettigan. Um, and it, and I didn't want to rewrite it because of the way it's written. It's so perfect in its old English way. So yeah. I decided just to verbatimly write it into the way it was written in the article. Okay. So it reads exactly as follows. Quote, unaided by human force, the dining table of the six foot extension type raised on end. The parlor chairs scurried to the center of the room from the four corners and crashed into the stand upon which reposed the family Bible. A writing desk toppled, scattering its contents, and the parlor table, flanked by the chairs that rushed to it in the first commotion, rising in the air with Bible, album, books, and all, fell in the midst of the confused mass of up-tilted furniture. Whoa. Simultaneously, with the crash of furniture in the parlor and dining room, the dishes in the pantry cupboard rolled off shelves, jumped to the floor, or sailed through the air as if carried by Sprite Abigails. Wow, that's some amazing uh, <laughs> flourish flourish of the pen. Yeah, Sprite Abigails, for Christ's sake. Knives and forks in the kitchen and elsewhere, scaling the edges of drain boards and tables, fell to the floor with a clatter. Breakfast and dinner, leftovers stored in the cupboard, were dashed off shelves. Heavy platters on level surfaces either rose and fell, or lifting shot out straight to fall in a thousand pieces on the kitchen floor already strewn with demolished crockery in China. Pictures on the walls either jumped and dropped to the floors, raced along the molding, or swung on their wires like pendulums. Wow. Only one picture on the lower floor retained its place throughout the day. First shaking like a spasm, the cuckoo clock on the dining room wall turned almost completely around and stopped at 3.50 o'clock. The timepiece was removed later when after one of its weights snapped like a thread, it jumped and tossed as if in the grip of a spook, about to dash it to pieces to complete the household ruin. So crazy. It sounded like complete chaos. <laughs> Absolute chaos. So all of this commotion in the house made a great deal of noise and started to attract neighbors and business owners in the neighborhood. They started to gather in front of the house, eventually going inside to see what was happening. And again, from the Pacific Monthly Magazine, quote, for every type of movement which combined made pandemonium of the Sanders household, there are reliable witnesses by the score from um, among the fully 2,000 curious visitors that surged through the house after the first upheaval. Wow. Of uh, this crowd, about 150 saw with their own eyes movements that dispelled all doubt that the first disturbance had occurred as related by aged Mr. and Mrs. J.P. Sanders. So <laughs> the Sanders were home when uh, this happened. Yes. So it's Ernest and his grandparents and their names were J.P. Sanders. And I am sure J.P. stood for his name. Yeah. And that's how they went by those days. Um, he was just living with them and his mother and him and his aunt, they had moved out here from, I believe, Wisconsin and I believe that he, his mother had divorced the father or something like that. She left him. They moved to Oregon and the grandparents were here. And so he was living with them while she lived in a hotel where she was a maid. 
Wow. So they were just, and her yeah. sister lived at that hotel and they just were made to this hotel. So that's kind of the backdrop from where he came from, but he was living with them at the time that this was happening. Okay. And this was like three days before Halloween. Oh, gosh. Uh, here are a few of the eyewitness accounts also told in the Pacific Monthly Magazine article. These are kind of fun because these are some of the witnesses that came by and into the house and saw what was happening. Quote, I passed the Marshall Street house at about 2.15 o'clock on my way down from the Good Samaritan Hospital. And naturally, taking a professional interest in the crowds that were passing into the house, I followed. <laughs> so funny. Why naturally? Why are all these people going into this house? I guess we'll go find out. Uh, the first phenomenon to come to my notice was a heavy dining room chair in the front room, which spun around like a top on one leg. The boy was not in the room while the chair spun, but had just left it. Five other people were in the room at the same time. Passing into the kitchen where there was a shelf of plates, I saw a plate leave the wall and float in the air. It appeared to come about three feet toward me and then was withdrawn. A moment later, flying with incredible force toward me, precisely as if an unseen hand had hurled it. It crashed to pieces on the wall behind me. Yun Harps was present. On the table, some knives rose on the tips of their blades and seemed to float towards the floor, but to my firm belief, remained for some seconds absolutely motionless in midair. A woman who said her name was Mrs. R.T. or R.B. Edwards at this juncture fainted, and in the confusion, I could not be sure whether the boy was present. There was a kettle full of water on the stove, and from time to time, I observed this utensil tilt forward and empty some water on the floor a little at a time. This happened on several occasions, several minutes apart. Why were they so focused on if the boy was in the room or not? So because the family had said this is something that Ernest does. This had happened before and they knew it had to do with Ernest because it followed him wherever he went. In common with others, I heard a groaning sound that seemed to pervade the house. I can, <laughs> I can only liken it to the sound heard in the after cabin of a sailing ship in a gale. The sound seemed almost exactly similar. I hurried back to the hospital to get an electrician who at the time I believe might furnish an explanation, but was unsuccessful in obtaining one. I returned to the house and was refused admittance, the occupants telling me all the reporters had been in who were going to get in. This recounting was by Orion E. Goodwin of the Oregonian staff. I can't believe this was in the Oregonian. It was all over the Oregonian. That is so awesome. I wonder why it was buried. This should be like an annual reading Yeah. during Halloween. Yeah. Everybody should be telling this story. Yeah. Uh, the owner of the house, so the um, grandparents were actually renters at this place. Oh. So the yeah. owner of the house, a guy named R. Sutherland, who rented it to Ernest's grandparents, had this to say. What I saw today astounded me. A chair jumped up and down three times right in my sight, and I heard the sewing machine tumble. Huh. Mr. Perry, now I don't know who Mr. Perry is, yeah. but he references Mr. Perry blames the little boy, and I guess he is right. Perry came over to my house tonight as pale as a ghost and explained the mystifying things to me as best he could. It's the boy, he said. The devil's in him. <gasps> Perry promised to have the boy examined and put out of the way. If he does that, they can stay in my house as they are quiet people. But I will not let them stay there with that boy. <laughs> oh. Yeah. 
So he was uh, creating quite a bit of controversy with all of this stuff. The author of the article from Pacific Monthly, the uh, guy Frank J. McGettigan, was also ushered into the home. And here's what he saw. As I was hurried to the scene by A.W. Allen from his drugstore across the street, my informant urging me to make haste if I would see the most wonderful thing that ever happened. I arrived at the Sanders' home about 3.30 o'clock, or it may have been 3.40 o'clock. The house was crowded, everything was topsy-turvy, and Mrs. Sanders was engaged in cleaning the wreck. Every now and then, little Ernest Harps would advise her not to pick things up, as they would only fall down again. I heard many noises, presumably caused by falling dishes, but after waiting in the house for more than an hour, I witnessed but two odd movements. In the kitchen, I saw a chair tipped back by itself as if occupied by somebody, and it rested its back to the wall. Only one leg of the chair touched the floor. Little Ernest Harps was probably four feet away from me at the time and laughed heartily when he saw that I was startled. Ooh, evil. Creepy, right? That is so evil. Mm -hmm. Two women rushed out in great haste at the sight of the moving chair. Soon after, I heard something crash in the parlor, and turning to see what it was, I heard a similar sound behind me. Turning to catch this movement, I saw a tin plate and some knives and forks laid on the floor after dropping from the drain board in the kitchen. So police were called to the scene, but we're at a loss of what to do because this is not something anybody's ever had to deal with before. And they didn't right. know what it was. I think you and I would say poltergeist. Poltergeist, you know? yeah. Usually kids that are of that puberty age have uh-huh. sometimes an ability with things like this where they can make this stuff go crazy. Right. So uh, finally, Ernest's mother, Annie Harps, showed up and took him to the hotel in which she lived with her sister. I told you earlier they worked there as mates. Even at the hotel, chairs and tables were still overturning. Ernest possesses a funny power, said Mrs. Annie Harps. (laughs) (laughs) And then his his grandparents said he's been queer ever since his birth. (laughs) Which is a crazy thing to say. (laughs) And even Ernest himself said, I know I do it, but can't do it when I want to. Oh, so he's like, I don't know what's going on. He's like, darn it. I want I want to be able to control it. It'd be so, know, it'd be cool, so cool to make, you know, somebody fall onto yeah. their chair, yeah. out of their chair or yeah. something. Yeah. So he's still yeah. at a loss for why it's happening. Another interesting thing that the article mentions is that Ernest suffered from a peculiar affliction. His mother said he gets an attack of something between a cough and a sneeze and keeps at it until he drops unconscious. She said that his last attack was the Sunday before the events took place on Thursday, October 28th. Okay, so let's think about this. How does he make himself go unconscious? I don't like, know. Like he just gets choked up maybe with coughing and breath? sneezing. Yeah, maybe. Something. So she had been keeping him out of school because of it. So it sounds like he gets like a stuffy nose maybe or something. something. I don't know. I'm not sure what. If you're a medical doctor and you're listening to this show, you write in and tell us what you think it is. I don't know. He's got a parasite in the brain. Something. So after Ernest was removed from his grandparents' rental, many people came to examine the home to see if it was indeed a hoax. They had electricians, scientists, and other professionals check out the house, but they found nothing that would explain the poltergeist-like activity. It was rumored that Ernest's mother had a mental breakdown, which made it easier for her to turn her son over to some psychiatrist, specifically Dr. J. Allen Gilbert, to study the boy. 
Dr. Gilbert wanted to take Ernest on a tour with the spiritualist movement, which was oh, real yay. hot at the time. Yeah. Yep. To show them his abilities. But it is believed that Ernest never participated in these events. But he did claim he couldn't control it. So maybe he wasn't able to do it on cue. I don't mm-hmm. know. So the story, however, was a very big deal and made front page news across the country at various different newspapers. No one could ever give a satisfactory reason for what happened or why the boy could do what he did. The house where this occurred was eventually torn down and is now a parking lot and a brewery or restaurant or something is there in its place. So when you went on the ghost tour, what did they show you? They showed they just pointed to the spot where the house had been. Had been. Yeah. So the commotion around Ernest eventually died down, and it is believed that he was returned to his family. There is evidence that he married, but no record of having any kids. He ended up moving to Independence, Oregon, and died in a car accident sometime in the 1920s. And that is the crazy and true story of Ernest Harps, the devil boy, as he was known. devil boy. The devil boy. Yeah. Ooh, I wonder where his tombstone is. I don't know. Probably Independence would be my Independence. Guess. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a pretty uh, crazy story. And uh, I'll see if I can pull up and show you his picture. So I'm assuming all the paranormal activity died away when he got older, like got out of his I guess because he, like stage. I said, he got taken by those, well, the way that um, our tour guide said he was kidnapped by those psychiatrists. By the psychiatrist. <laughs> Is that how she phrased it? Yeah, I think she was kind of like, these people just took him and da da da. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, and maybe that's what happened at the time. But um, I'm pretty amazed at how many witnesses there were. So it wasn't easily, um, you know, perpetrated by a hoaxer or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And then I also saw um, there was a Reddit thread where someone said that their grandfather had been a kid when that happened and had actually snuck in to watch and thought it was a hoax. And some people thought it was a hoax, but it's just probably because it can't explain it or they just, you know, but a lot of people were like, no, we couldn't figure out what's wrong with this. Well, and it's kind of cool that like wherever he went. It happened. it happened. So it wasn't just yeah. in the home. Yeah. It happened at the hotel. It, it happened, happened yeah. and in they said, several other people's places. Um, before that day, it had happened. Okay. So the it, it, somebody in one of the accounts I read said that when they walked in the house, the grandparents and the kid didn't seem to be all that freaked out because they're kind of used to it. Yeah. That's, it just happened to be really bad that dang, day. Dang, that's expensive, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Probably a lot of things were ruined yeah, every time exactly. you had an episode like that. I'd get rid of them too. If yeah. He's like, <laughs> you know, destroying my precious china. Yeah. And like, someone should paint a portrait of him crying. <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, yeah, they, they mentioned that in the article that this was expensive for a family that didn't have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was very interesting. Yeah. So anyway, that's uh, Ernest Harps, you guys. That was so great you found that. Thanks, Holly. No problem. And I guess we'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye. He spoke to his editor about getting rid of the painting, Uh and she suggested a cleansing ceremony would be much better than just trying to leave it outside in his garden and upon a... You're so so close to the end. I'm not. But, but good try, Holly. <laughs> Saying the painted was haunting. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I returned to the house and was... was blah, 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 blah. 
As the flames die down, do remain undaunted. Though all hitchhikers are ghosts, and all dolls are definitely haunted. Hey guys, be sure to follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at Fireside Phantoms. If you have a spooky story you would like to share with us, send it to firesidephantoms at gmail.com and you may hear it on a future episode.